This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 46, submission 1096. We've broken a thousand, guys. Yay! Woo! Yeah, we have many more entries, folks. We're not just three digits, baby. Retired prices right pricing games. Well, guys, you know what every single game on this themed episode has in common? What's that? They're not being played any longer? Yes, because they all suck. Aww. Well, well, for well, not every game can be Plinko, or or hell, not every game can at least be Danger Price. But you know, give Prices Right, you know, some credit. Uh, it's been on the air for what forty eight years in its current iteration. Yeah, it's two years away from turning the big five zero, baby. In those forty eight years, you get to experiment with a whole lot of games. But not all those 110 games have been winners. Nope. Yeah, for, for every punch a bunch, there's, well, we got enough games to talk about. And we're not going to cover all the retired games. And there's actually some retired games that we wanted to talk about, but just didn't make the list. So we'll acknowledge those right now. Uh, specifically, I'm talking about Double Digits, Mystery Price, and the Phone Home Game. But we have 12 other games that we want to talk about. Right, Greg? Yeah, and we'll start with Double Bullseye. Now, this is notable because this is the only pricing game in the history of The Price is Right where that involved two players. And you're thinking, what? Two players involved in a pricing game? Greg, how did this work? Well, let me tell you something. Here's how it began. After winning a one bid, the contestant would come on stage, and then a new player would be called to contestant's row to participate in another one bid round. And so the two winners of the one bid round would play against each other, and they would give alternate in giving bids on a car, with the with Bob Barker indicating whether the correct price was higher or lower after each of their bids, and the first player who guessed the exact price of the car won it. And the thing is, this would later be recycled on the Australian version of Price is Right. This is actually how they do their showcase round. They say the showcase is valued between X and Y dollars, and the winner of the showcase is the one who bids the right price to the dollar. So it does live on in some capacity. But besides the obvious, you know, two contestants... Do you think this might have died because it guaranteed a car being given away? Could it have been a, not necessarily budget breaker, but maybe a budget harmer? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, I know the cars that they offered at the time may have been $3,000 at most, but $3,000 47, 48 years ago went a lot further than $3,000 nowadays. Oh, totally. And they did actually do a version of Bullseye with one player. And the one player version of Bullseye 
had them doing the same game, but basically getting seven chances to guess the price of the car. And also, I think sort of like this, it wasn't played that often. I mean, there may have been a single-digit number of, of games played, uh, and I don't even know if they had a winner on that version. So yeah, two versions of the same game didn't survive, but the other version of Bullseye has done just fine for the past 40-some years. Yeah, they've got touch screens now. Well, I'm going to talk about another game from the 70s, and this one is called Finish Line. And Finish Line really was a ripoff of Give or Keep, which is a very popular game that was played on The Price is Right for pretty much like the first, I'd say, 15 years of the show, more or less. I think it was played from like 1975 till about 1990. So it, it was a long running game. It was the same game, except it had a horse racing theme. And the idea was pick the more expensive item in a group of two. And the item that wasn't picked, the price would be revealed and the finish line would be moved that many spaces away or that many paces away or whatever you want to call it. And then after you do this three times, you have a certain distance between the horse at the starting line and the finish line. And the goal is your horse has to move at least to the finish line or beyond the finish line based on the prices of the three items that you chose. It's basically give or keep just with a horse racing motif. And it's a really amazing motif. I mean, it's, it's beautiful how they set it up. I mean, they have a tote board like you'd see at Santa Anita or Churchill Downs. They have the fencing. They have bushes. I mean, they gave it a, a good sense of realism. Uh, the problem is, like I said, it's a carbon copy of an existing game. But also, from what I've heard, there were technical difficulties with the, the horses. And obviously, when you have so many moving parts, the, the finish line, that gate moving, and also the horse moving, you can see how it might have been canned pretty early because there's a game already like it, but also just too many malfunctions less props intensive so to speak yeah i mean well give or keep is the less props intensive type of game it's just a board with three sets of two prizes you pick which one of them is most expensive bob shows the uh, price of the of the item not chosen closes that window the price goes on the on the board uh, on the uh, on the give side and then you, after you give all three items, you see how much the keeps are, you add them all up, and as long as the keep is more than the give, you win. Simple. It should have been simple, but just, just like a duplicate, like I said. But Chico's got another game, and this is actually a game the two of us saw in person uh, a number of years ago. Yeah, it's a game called Joker. And the object is you have five you have a five-card hand. The Joker is hiding in one of the five cards. You have to discard the Joker in order to win. That's pretty much the game. Now, how do you get discards? You get discards from pricing four small items. Like, there's a small item. Is it $26 or $62? Or $38 or $83? 
And if you're right, you get the prize and you get a discard. Now, this 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 game lasted a good long while. It was from 1994 to 2007. And here here's the thing. This has a bit of a flaw built into it. Just one flaw? Okay. Several flaws. Uh, for one, it was played 80 times, so it was kind of like they were ramming it down our throat. And for another, it was like, okay... We can't have a price. We can't have a pro. We can't have a price whose price was ended in zero. And you couldn't have a price that had the same digit. You couldn't have like sixty six dollars. Yeah, and true story. Uh, according to uh, secondary truth by consensus fandom dot com, uh, Roger Dopkowitz noted that the game had fundamental problems and awkward reveal. And a contestant could earn all four prize, small prizes and still lose the game. Which is true for a number of games. I'm looking at you, Secret X. Mm-hmm. Now, you see, my issues with the game, I love the pricing uh, uh, part of this. I love the 38 or 83 or 54 or 45. I think that's brilliant. I think that needs to come back in some capacity. My problem is this game just looked cheap. I mean, it looked like it was thrown together in, like, no time. There was very little thought uh, put towards the game. Plus, also, another thing is the Joker itself was a red background card, while the other cards were white, using the same type of uh, face that you'd see on the Hit Me cards. They, or, they, it, true or, story, or, they actually did use the Hit Me cards. The Joker was sort of a sticker that they would affix on one of the Hit Me cards. Uh, or if you wanted to go back even further in time, the original Gambit cards. The, the red background Joker, unfortunately for me, stood out so much. But also, the game was played on like a plexiglass platform. It was It was transparent. And I'm wondering if there's some way that the contestants could have possibly seen in the reflection of the glass what card it was. Hmm. Possible? Possibly. If all the cards are white, it would be harder to distinguish which one's the Joker. Now, I, I understand, you know, television, it's a visual medium. You've got, you know, you want to see the difference because you maybe could be able to tell one card from another or you wanted the Joker to stand out. But I wonder if, because the, the Joker was primarily red, if there was some way they could see through a reflection of some sort and thus giving them a, a obviously better chance at winning. But still, it just overall looked like a cheap game. I mean, the set itself was uh, the Joker sign, uh, the, the name of the game, the signage, in five different fonts. It looked very messy and you had the platform with five cards on it. it looked very, very lackadaisical. It, it just, I, I mean, I don't miss the game at all. And she, as I said, Chico and I did see this game at a taping of Prices Right back in 2006. And 
I didn't even know it was still around at that time. Man, it was a dog back then. It was a dog. Yeah, it was a horrible game. And, but also at the same time, think of it this way, Chico. You and I saw one of the last playings of Joker. Not many people can say that. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Greg, do you have another game lined up? Yes, I have one. It's called On the Nose. Now, this was a pricing game where a contestant had to perform a sporting feat to win. It was played for a car and a potential cash bonus of $1,000. So to win the car, the contestant had to successfully complete a sporting feat. Five different sporting events alternated in different playings of the game, which included throwing a mini football or a baseball through a hall in the game board, making a free throw with a mini basketball, popping a balloon with a dart, and hitting a tennis ball through a hole in the game board. Before the contestant attempted the feat, they first had to determine how many chances they would have to perform it. The contestant was shown four possible prices for the car. Picking the correct price earned the contestant four attempts at the sporting feat and a $1,000 cash bonus. Choosing the nearest incorrect price earned the contestant three attempts, and the next closest price earned two. And the price farthest away from the actual retail price earned just one attempt. Those other three prices awarded no bonus, and the number of attempts was represented by revealing a certain number of whatever implement was used in the particular task of the day. Also, Bob Barker would perform an inspiration attempt of the task, similar to Hall in One. And I sort of have to figure that that's how this game originated. Hall in One was a reasonably popular game. And hey, let's spin it off, but now let's do different games. Not just golf, let's do basketball and baseball and darts and football. And it just didn't work. But also it didn't help that, and this wasn't true of all the contestants, but obviously if you have just like one or two contestants that fall under this category, it's sort of unfair. If you have a senior citizen playing, yeah, can you see a 70-year-old shooting a free throw or throwing a dart trying to hit a balloon? I'll take that sound as a no. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's fine. So can you see a, a senior citizen trying to uh, make a free throw or trying to throw a football through a hole from however many yards away, five, ten yards I, I just I could, don't see that happening. I could see it, but it would not be pretty. It, it definitely wouldn't be very pretty. Plus, also, you lose the home viewer because there's no participation for the viewer at that point. Mm. It's now, let's see if if Gertrude can uh, can throw the football through the hole by the receiver's shoulders. Not a, a very interactive game. No, after, not- after you get through the preliminary part where you determine how many attempts they get. Nope. But the funny thing is, despite it being around on the U.S. version for a year, it's actually been on the German version, and it's had a long life. It is actually the host of the German version of The Price is Right, Harry Rinvord. It's one of his favorite pricing games. Well, good for him. Different strokes for different folks. Well, I'm going to talk next about the telephone game. This one is an obscure game, not played very often. Very weird, very hard to follow along with. So it starts off with 
four grocery items and you're given $1 to purchase two of the grocery items. And the idea is to spend no more than 90 cents. So you have at least a dime left over to use on a pay telephone. Because back in the day, well, you got to remember, pay telephones were a thing before cell phones, but also calls were just a dime. So if a contestant succeeded in spending 90 cents or less on these two items, they would go to this telephone booth, and there were three phone numbers. And the three phone numbers corresponded with the prices of three items. Two of the items were small prizes, and the, the four numbers represented the dollars and the cents of the item, so like $45.70. And then one of the numbers represented the price of the car. But remember, you don't see the decimals. So you don't know which item is the car, which one are the small prizes. So you have basically a one-in-three shot of getting the car. So the person would actually dial the phone as a rotary phone, a rotary payphone type uh, of phone, they dialed the phone number, and then a few seconds after dialing the fourth digit, one of the three phones would ring. And whichever phone rang, the prize that was associated with that phone would be the item that the, uh, the contestant won. So again, there's two small prizes, probably in the range of about $40, $45, $50 each. And then you've got the car, which would have been basically 100 times that. $4,500 to $5,000. And this game was not played that often. And there is one example of this game being played on the internet. That's how rare it is. Wow. Yeah, it's one of those games you need a flow chart in order to, to understand. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the, one of the, one of the secrets behind a good price is right game the kiss rule. Keep it simple, stupid. This one was almost incredibly too simple. And in retrospect, probably uh, probably a duplicate. Thank you, Brain. Uh, we have the gallery game. This is another game that was pretty much force-fed down our throats between September 10th, 1990 and April 1st, 1991. It was played 24 times in that short period. And that's exactly how long it lasted. Basically, you had a price with one number missing a few key elements. It could look like a 3 or an 8. Or a zero. And what the player had to do was paint in the missing pieces to give a price to the prize up for bids. It was, in the 24 playings, it was only won nine times. And again, it, it was one of, those, one of those games that was a little too simple, but at the same time, it's like, oh, jeez. Uh, it, it was sort of complex to set up, which is probably why it got the axe rather early. Because, A, you have to come up with a painting for the, for the prize. And, B, you have to set up 
not only the uh, not only the the prize to be painted in, but the but the reveal. So yeah, it was just way. It, it just seemed like it was way too simple. Of, of course, you also had pick a number do the same metric. I think pick a number would come later. Actually, now that I think about it, nineteen ninety two. Yes. Yeah. So so pick a number would be the replacement for this game. I just wonder how much it would have cost to create those paintings. I mean, the, the art was you know it wasn't done by a kid, but. They had to do two of the exact same paintings. I'm sure duplicating it wasn't that difficult, but I mean, they had to have somebody on staff or in the art department which had to do that. Yeah, this yeah. was quality art. This wasn't like the uh, the guy who drew the sketch of the leprechaun in Alabama. Future installment <laughs> coming coming uh, March twenty coming March twenty twenty one, folks. All right, Greg, what do you have next? Okay, so the next game I have is the Shower Game. Now, the Shower Game premiered on September 4th, 1978, and had its last playing on November 30th, 1978. So this game lasted two months. So what this is, is a game with six shower stalls arranged in a row, like a locker room, and each stall had a possible price of a car attached to it. So the contestant enters the stall bearing the correct price, and he pulls it. He or she pulls a chain attached to the shower head. If they chose correctly, a giant key would lower from the stall ceiling, and the contestant won a car. The five other showers were randomly divided into three, which showered the contestants with confetti, and two of which showered them with a hundred one-dollar bills. If the contestant selected a confetti shower, they could choose another shower. If, however, the contestant selected a money shower, the game ended, and the contestant left with only the one hundred dollars. But there's really a, a key reason this game didn't last that long, right? Oh yeah, it was not fun. It was like boring. Yeah, well, no not, well, well, not just that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole thing with the oh yeah, Jewish people didn't like this because it reminded them of the Holocaust. Yeah, because yeah, yeah sour stalls in the Holocaust. Enough said. Oh boy. Well. I mean, it, it, it's uh, the game is good in theory, but maybe they needed to use different props. Maybe like a hat, like a, like a home shower or something. Maybe just totally avoid the showers. Yeah, but yeah, it, there really was no strategy in the game. There were no you know hints given. You just had to grab a handle in the shower stall and hope for the best. A very luck based game. But yeah, it did not last all that long. Well, one game that lasted a little longer is the game I'm going to talk about right now, which is called Adam Up. Adam Up lasted over two years, believe it or not. It debuted uh, in 1986, uh, September 11th of 86, and it was retired uh, in October of 1988. So it got a little bit over two years worth of use. Now, Adam Up was a card game and the idea of the game was you had a display over the car which showed the four digits and the price of the car because remember this is the late 80s most cars didn't cost uh, more than ten thousand dollars at this point so you'd have the four digits there and then the game board would show you what the four numbers added up to 
So you'd have four blanks for the four different digits, and let's say they added up to 17. So what that told you is the four digits in the car, if you add them up, adds up to 17. So in this game, there were no free numbers given. That would make it a little too easy. So the contestant was allowed to make one mistake. And once you make the one mistake, the game's over. But the thing is, if you get one number, that narrows down the possibilities of what the other numbers could be, especially if the first number you go for is the first digit of the car. Because back then, cars would have been in the six, seven, eight thousand $8,000 range. So if you know the sum is 17 and the first digit of the car is eight, well, then the last three digits have to equal nine. And, you know, there's some logic in in play because, you know, how many combinations of the remaining digits could you make to uh, add up to nine? You could, you really couldn't use any numbers bigger than, than seven because, uh, you know, seven, two, zero, the eight's already in play. You can't play the nine because you can do the zero, but, yeah, there isn't a second zero on the board. It's a different digit, so you have to play a one. It was basically so the, a giant Sudoku puzzle. It, it's a logic puzzle. Yeah, you, you got to think it out. And, and the game just got canned because contestants just didn't understand it, which sort of, you know, enforces the stereotype that Americans don't understand math. Which is, you know, sad but true in some cases. Uh, I mean, I thought it was a clever game. And the game sort of does live on now somewhat because the scoreboard, or at least the font for the scoreboard, is currently used on the game Pathfinder. I, th- I believe they, they, they reused that prop. Yeah, and it has that funky sort of uh, typeface. Uh, almost sort looks of, a little bit like a 60s type of uh, typeface. Yeah, like a sort 70s. of looks like a Cooper meets Balloon. You're the typeface pro. I'll take your word on that. Yeah, if there are any typeface, if there are any typeface bands listening, give us a holler, will you? And up next is Chico, and oh, he's got a oh, he's got a doozy of a game. Okay. It's a doozy. It is a doozy. It is most most of these games we need a flowchart to explain. This game is literally a flowchart. It is called On the Spot. You start on the spot. You have to get off the spot in order to win a car. The circle had three colored paths leading from it to the outside of the spot. Blue, yellow, and pink. Each path consisted of three steps marked with prices. These prices correspond with six small prizes, which were shown to the contestant. The contestant selected a path and moved to the first step. They had to select the prize whose price matches matches the step they were on. If they selected correctly, they won the small prize and repeated the process until they were off the spot. If they got one wrong, they'd have to get back on the spot and try another path. But if they get three in a row correctly, they moved off the spot and won the car. But there were always some duplicate prizes on the on the three paths. So if the contestant had correctly guessed the price on a previous path, they were allowed to skip that price 
on succeed on subsequent paths. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? No. Uh, I Good. get it. But, uh, I understand it. I was just about to say... Good. It's good that Greg didn't understand it because that's one of the reasons why this game was canned after almost two years between 2003 and 2004. It also looked really cheap. I'm sorry. Yeah, not only cheap, but it was up. A, they had to rejigger the game a bit because when it was first played, Bob saw a price as. $68 when it was $89. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. So if you actually look at later plays in the game, you can see in small black print below the price, you can see uh, a duplicate of it facing Bob and the contestant. Right. That's not good. No. Anytime a game is removed from the uh anytime the game was removed for retooling yeah in fact one of the uh, official reasons is it's too confusing that seems to be a common thread among these games too confusing yeah oh but that 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 looked kind of uh it, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Loud. Cheap, cheap, cheap. It looks loud and cheap. Well, speaking of confusing and other adjectives we could use. Oh, yes. Oh, Greg, I know you've been waiting to say something about this game. Oh, yes. This is, I would say, this is the queen mother of bad prices, right? Pricing games. Would you agree? Yes. This is definitely among the top, yes. This is Professor Price. Now, this is a pricing game played for a car. So what this game involved is it involved up to five questions. I know, it's weird. A Price is Right pricing game with questions? Yeah. In order to win the car, the contestant would have to guess three of the five questions correctly. Now, the centerpiece of this game was an animatronic professor who would nod or shake his head to indicate whether an answer was correct or incorrect. He also kept score with right answers on his upward-pointing right hand and wrong answers on his downward-pointing left hand. If the contestant gave three wrong answers, that contestant would lose. So the first question would be a general knowledge question with a numerical answer between 0 and 9. After this question, the contestant was shown the last two digits in the price of the car. The second question was whether or not the answer to the first question was one of the first two digits in the car's price. Question three was another trivia question, and question four, if needed, asked whether the answer was the remaining digit in the price of the car. The fifth question, if needed, was another trivia question. That didn't really fit into the whole motif of the price is right, did it? Nope. It was just all very bizarre because you would have Professor Price introduced to uh, Pomp and Circumstance and he had like his own little podium. It was just very goofy. I mean, it sounds like something experimental back in the day and truth be told, it sounds almost like something Jay Wolpert would have done. 
for it all does we sound know, like a Jay Wolpert could, game. Yeah, for all we know, this could very well be a Jay Wolpert joint. And yeah, it, it just seemed totally out of place. The the trivia questions, trivia has no place on prices, right? Even if it's simple questions like how many sides are there on an octagon or a stop sign. I, I get that's you know pretty common knowledge, but totally just very weird, very bizarre. Uh, and yeah, it only lasted a week, literally a week. The f- debut was November 14th of 1977. And its final playing was a week later, November 21st of 1977. Wow. Played, played two times, won two times. That's plus crazy. Al- plus also, I don't know if you know this, guys. This is a number of years ago. I want to say it was within the last maybe 10 years, maybe even a little bit longer than that. Did you know Professor Price was on eBay? Yes. What? Professor Price was on eBay. Somebody put him on eBay. And I don't remember. I don't think it sold because maybe the person didn't realize what he had for sale or what she had for sale. But uh, I remember, you know, the bidding got into like the $400 range. The seller didn't know what they had. And I think somebody mentioned to the seller, oh, you've got this prop that Price is Right used for a total of two uh, playings. And it was beat up. Uh, I think the hair was either missing or partially missing. And maybe the mustache was screwed up a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, and I think even the uh, in the picture that the, the seller posted on eBay, I think that Professor Price still had, like, a finger up or something like that. But, yeah, Professor Price was on eBay. Again, I want to say it was, like, over 10 years ago, but it was not in the recent past. But, oh, could you imagine buying that for the museum, Greg? Oh, my God. Where, where do you think it would go? Oh, it would be the conductor on the super train. Oh, it definitely would. Or, or maybe it would be, like, accompanying uh, the statue of McLean Stevenson. Oh, yeah, you have it right next to the statue of McLean Stevenson that greets the guests. <laughs> and, and Professor Price is giving them fingers they enter. <laughs> That's... Terrible. That's, You're terrible. I know I am. I know I am. Uh, I'll try to make it up with this next game, though. Split Decision. Split Decision, I remember from, uh, not necessarily my years growing up, it, it would have been about 25 years ago or so. Uh, it debuted in November of 1995, but uh, was retired January of 1997. So it only lasted about 14 months. This is a game I thought had a lot of promise. I really did. So you had an array of eight numbers. Eight digits were lined up in a row. And the idea was you had to give the price of a small three-digit item while the five digits left at the top gave you the price of a car. So... Again, good in theory, but there's a reason it lasted just over a year. From what I remember, a lot of contestants were confused as to how to play the game. I mean, even the game changed rules after a while. Uh, Originally, when the game was played, there was a 20-second clock. So you got to uh, place as many combinations as you could in 20 seconds. And, you know, sometimes you'd have people get 
three combinations or three attempts, some people four. If they moved really fast, maybe eight or nine. But uh, starting in May of 1996, they simply gave the contestants three chances to win. Now, these rules were only used on two playings, and the clock returned in June of 1996. And the game was just, it was retired just because it was, again, like, like it seems like every game, it was just too confusing for the players. But also, and you can find this on YouTube, there is a playing of split decision where the contestant, dest- I don't want to say destroys the numbers, but he yanks the numbers down so hard, the numbers fall off the prop. Whoops. Yeah. So, and... The thing is, Bob didn't even try putting them back on uh, on the prop itself. So you had just like this blank space uh, there and Bob saying, okay, that number represents a zero and that one represents a nine. Not, I, I, again, I think it's great in theory. It's just, in terms of execution, confusing. And when you've got props falling apart, that's not good. No. NG, no good. No good. But speaking of no good, Chico's got one more game that definitely falls under the category of no good. Yeah, this is the one where you you talk about all the problems that we had with all of the games that we've mentioned on this episode so far. This one has all of them and then some. Ready for this? I'm ready. I Here like this com- game. I'm just going to say, I like this game. Oh, so you're the one. I'm the one. The, the game is Fortune Hunter, and it was played from November 21st, 1997 to May 11th, 2000. And I, I can see where you like it, because it's it's a problem solver's game, basically. It, it's sort of like a logic game, exactly. Yeah, but this is where you can do you don't have to be a logical of a logical mind to win this. It's as much logic based as it is skill based. You're shown four items. And each item has a pretty little silver box with a pretty red bow on top. One of them has five thousand dollars on it in it. And here's how you find the 5,000. You have to eliminate boxes based on clues given by the host. For example, one would be eliminate the prize whose first digit is blank. Or eliminate the prize whose price is between blank and blank. Or eliminate the prize whose price is blank. Or eliminate the prize that is more than blank. Or eliminate the prize that is the least or most expensive. You get where I'm going with this. But the problem is you make one mistake and the game's done. Problem is you don't know you made that mistake until the reveal. Yep. So yeah, when you look at it, there's a combination of just pure luck. But also, you know, there is that logic. If you know your prices, and, I mean, some of the the clues were pretty easy. Like Chico said, 
you know, eliminate the price that's more than $1,000. That's not generally too hard. But then when you get to a clue like eliminate the price whose first digit is eight, that might be a little trickier. Yeah, and on the four items are basically one-bid items. Four one-bid items. And if you find the money, you get the four items and the money. If you don't find the money, you get caca poo poo pee pee nothing. So that's 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 probably the be all end all of the problems with this game. It's more it's as luck based as it is skill based. You don't know when you don't know if you made a mistake until the end, and it is basically an all or none proposition. And the reason that Fortune Hunter was presumably retired uh, from our friends over at GoldenRoad.net is that it wasn't getting enough winners. Boy, I wonder why. Well, it says it says that it was won about a third of the time, which, I mean, that's better than, you know, just randomly guessing, because random guessing says you win it a fourth of the time. But, yeah, the, as much as I enjoy the game, I understand why it didn't last that long. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, there are other games we could have added to the list. We, as I said, we could have done the phone home game, which is the only regular attempt at uh, doing a pricing game with a contestant at home. Yeah, they did play alongs and stuff like that uh, throughout the years, but this is the only dedicated game that always had a at home element. And another game that uh, didn't make the cut is Double Digits, which really, if you look at it, is a precursor to Temptation. Not the one with Rossi Morreale, the the pricing game Temptation. That's oh, another, that's oh, another that's I, another show, Mike. I was just gonna say that's a future episode, Temptation with Rossi Morreale. But enough about that. He's not bitter at all. No. Well, what can we say about this, uh, Chico? Well, what can we say? Well, in the forty eight years of the prices, right? You're gonna have some really big games that turn out to be fan favorites. Some of them go on to be legendary, like, say, Plinko, or Dice Game, or Punch-A-Bunch. As for the ones that come and go without fanfare, well, what can I say? It was a thing on TV. They were just things on TV back in the day, yes. If you'd like to find our back catalog of episodes, our social media links, and more, please visit our website, www.itwasathingontv.com. You can find all that there. And also on your preferred podcast app, please subscribe to our podcast, like it, rate it, review it. Tell us how you feel. Tell, Tell us what you like, what you don't like. We have feelings, but we're also grown adults. And as always, as Chico would say, sharing is caring. Please let your friends know about this. Let your friends' friends know about this. Let your friends' mom know about this. Yep. Let your all, let, let your mom's friend know about this. Yep. And also, do, and also, all of our back catalog is going up three episodes at a time on the Place to Be Nation pop feed right now. In fact, as we are recording for this upcoming week. 
the latest episodes from our catalog that just dropped are Pink Lady, video games based on TV shows, and The Critic. So they're 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 catching up. They're we are like a up to they, thirty-eight. Yeah, they yeah, might so, have. Uh, they might be caught up in what the next couple of weeks, couple of months. Oh, well, the, well, they're not going to get caught up this week because obviously three episodes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they're only about three weeks behind us now because the critic was not that long ago. Nope. Nope. Good job on you, Pop, uh, on Place to Be Pop Nation Network. Very well done. We appreciate that. We, we appreciate our good friends at the Place to Be Pop Network. We appreciate you. Next week, the internet. It's for the children! Well, that plus also a special Easter-themed episode. We need to remember Easter's coming up in about a week and a half, and uh, we do have an episode specifically devoted to one show that is tangentially Easter-themed. Chocolate? Eggs? Chocolate eggs? Peeps the cartoon. Peeps the cartoon? Marshmallow Peeps, with that one cartoon where Marshmallow Peeps came to life. Oh my god! Oh. That should have been the April Fool's Day episode. It should have. Oh darn, we'll have to save uh, Marshmallow Peeps the cartoon series for next year. Mm. Well, until we come back with the internet, as, as Chico said, Thank you to Chico. Thank you to Greg. Thank you for listening. And I'm Mike, and we'll be back here next week with two more installments of It Was a Thing on TV. And remember, help control the pet population. Have your pets spayed or neutered. And also, don't forget to control the SNL alumni population. Get your David spayed neutered. (laughs) 